0: This is Dave Haynes for the Seacamp
1: podcast, and we're doing this live from uh, the Investor Day at Seacamp week. I'm sitting in a room here with Matthew Bradley from Forward Partners. Um, so really excited to talk to you. You know, for those are listening to the podcast who don't know you, uh, or have just come across you a couple of times, tell us more about currently what you're doing at Forward Partners. So I'm one of the investors at Forward Partners.
0: We're uh, an early stage e-commerce uh, VC here in London, based just around the corner from where we are right now. I look for the most exciting e-commerce startups within the UK uh, that's primarily what we're up to. We have a, a slightly larger remit and we look at some B2C, uh, sorry, B2B companies, but by and large, searching for the most exciting opportunities, the best entrepreneurs um, and that's quite a salient point because we invested really early stage,
1: so it's a lot of it is about the entrepreneur. Mm, yeah, and Ford has a, a really interesting model, you know, slightly different to what's out there. So I want to dive into that later on in the podcast. But actually, let's kind of start off by talking a bit more about, you know, Matt Bradley. How how did you get to this position where you are today? You know, the, the kind of career that got you into venture. Um, where, you know, where did you start off? At? Where did you study? What did you study? Sure. Uh, I mean, largely accidental. Uh, quite a lot of people who. Who get into VC are, you know, they,
0: they do it in a straight line. It's, it's very clear from, from probably quite a young age, um, certainly early 20s, that they want to be in VC. Definitely wasn't the case for me. So I was at undergraduate university leaving there uh, in 2007. <laughs> yeah, uh, which feels like funny. a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And you know, back then, so I was doing my internships in my penultimate year, back then being an investment banker was still a kind of legit profession because it was pre-financial crisis and, uh, and investment bankers weren't, you know, the devil back then. So uh, so I got into investment banking after, um, after university, mm-hmm. uh, where I'd studied economics and politics, so nothing practical at all, <laughs> and I, I suppose part of it was... Following my father into into investment banking, he, he was a trader himself. Right, okay. And I used to visit him on the trading floor, and I thought I thought all the tech and the bells and the buzzers and the shouting and the high tempo was really cool. So I got into that, and that's that's that's
1: really where I went. Did did it live up to expectations coming from university into that environment, following it? your father's footsteps? Was it what what you expected when you got into that side of things? Well, I I joined uh, on my graduate scheme.
0: And all, it was. I think it was the August Bank Holiday weekend that year. I think BMP that that BMP Paribas um, fund had gone pop earlier on in the year, but Bear Stearns, within sort of two months of me uh, joining, had its troubles, and that was the sort of real the real sort of bellwether for uh, for what was uh, about to come. And Lehman Brothers happened soon after that. And so, uh, no, not at all, it was not the experience that I thought it was going to be because within, uh, within months, and actually probably as I joined, the good times were already over. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, that did afford quite a lot of opportunities over the following years because, because of the dislocation, because of the, the hurry of publicly held institutions uh, to, to reduce costs and headcount. Then being left a little bit short when things were looking up, and so in many ways, if you could, if you could stick around and, and keep your head below the fire, there were there were opportunities there. Yeah. So walk us through what what was next after that. So I ended up doing sales and structuring work for mid-market UK pension funds, which is about as interesting as it sounds. <laughs> um, but you know, it's it's cool for from an academic perspective. You know, it's really quite cerebral work, and that's quite fun. But from that point, I actually went to do something slightly more quantitative um, at BarCap, which was to do a sort of on-balance sheet trading, which was super esoteric. Again, not exactly what many people would call exciting, but academically a good challenge. But one day, I just thought to myself, I literally, what am I doing? <laughs> I mean, I, I, think, I think the main things were, am I actually creating any value for anyone? Because... I mean, aside from being well remunerated, um, I wasn't certain that I was, I was really doing myself any good. And I wasn't really sure that I was doing any clients of the bank any good, nor was I sure that I was doing the bank any good, because I was right. helping them to like squeeze the last bit of you know, juice out of their balance sheets, which yep. actually is not necessarily a great thing. Right. So so I had that epiphany, and I thought, you know what, I need to, I need to change what's going <laughs> on here. So what
1: was It, it was just a sudden realisation, was it, you know, I need to... Take a break for a month and reevaluate everything, or was it just a slow realization that this wasn't for you and you wanted to go elsewhere? No, I I was actually I was walking I was walking through
0: the lobby on the reception or whatever you call it um, in Canary Wharf, and I just thought
1: exactly as I mentioned before, (laughs) what am I doing here? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, during that time, I mean, there must have been things that you picked up doing that. Like, how much of that has kind of informed your view on how you look at um, your, your work now in the VC world, so what did you take out of it? Certainly, so, so I mean aside from,
0: from financial skills which, uh, which fortunately you develop in, in the areas which I was in, relatively advanced financial skills but also a relatively um, good understanding of risk um, is incredibly important. And that is something which which works in in, in all areas of, of finances. I, mean, I still work in finance now, so that that understanding of risk and, and its importance and its uh, its integ- integral nature to, to all of what human beings are up to and in all different sizes of business is is very very important.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, th- I think it's interesting. I mean, one one observation, having come more from a operational side of things than a, a finance side of things, is that. If you look here in Europe, you know, a lot of the people in venture, that's, that's a traditional route into it, you know, doing, uh, doing stuff in finance. Whereas if you look over to the US, obviously you have that. Then you also have kind of, you know, other people have been on the operational side. Mm-hmm. Do, you think, do you think there's, does that kind of mean that Europe versus US VCs, they, they see and they perceive risk differently? Well, the, so the common perception is obviously that European VCs are, are more risk
0: averse mm-hmm. um, than US VCs. But I think perhaps that's that's got a lot to do with how, how developed the venture scene is just in general. I mean, yeah, uh, it's older over there. There's there's far more money, and there are far more developed ecosystems. Um, so potentially we might well be less risk-averse, but it's it's a sort of uh, a function of like the constructivist nature of where we are more than more than anything else.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Cool. So see, so you had this epiphany, you, you, you had this epiphany, you needed to do something else. What was your, what was your next step after that? Uh, yeah. So you, you mentioned earlier, did I take a break? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> straight I, in. Like, I, needed,
0: I needed to do something straight away. So straight away I, I thought, what's the best way for me to just, just pivot basically? So, I decided I'd go to business school, saved up a bit of money, and um, so I took my G, GMAT almost straight away. <laughs> Probably quite ill advised, quite a stressful experience, preparing right. for that yep. super quickly. And so, I got my GMAT score, uh, redid my CV super quickly, and, uh, and actually, I uh, was quite cheeky. I just sent my CV and my GMAT score around to the best business schools in Europe mm-hmm. and said, Hey, look, this is me. Can I, uh, can I come this, this intake? And that was in two months time, right? Okay. Uh, most of them quite wisely probably <laughs> uh, said, absolutely not, you can, you can apply like everybody else. Yeah. Fortunately, a few of them came back and said yes. And so I ended up uh, living in Milan and going to SDA Bocconi for a year and then carrying on to do the concentrations. Um, and I, to be, I did my concentrations of fairly nerdy no finance stuff mm-hmm. over in uh, Duke in North Carolina. Right,
1: yeah. Great, excellent. And then so, um, but you've, uh, what, take me through what's that because you were saying that you've you also kind of got hands on and started your own business. What was there? Was there something in between or did you go yeah. straight into that? So, well, uh, a couple of things really. One of them
0: was well. I got involved as an investor and an operator to a certain extent mm-hmm. with an airport security business, uh, just because I went to a science fair in Amsterdam mm-hmm. and came across these two Russian scientists and uh, and invested what was soon becoming my very very small pot of remaining cash yep. um, in them. And then I also started up uh, an eyewear company using uh, some of the skills hub in the Venice region because Lozotica is based there and there are loads and loads of sort of long tail of producers out there right. who, who have large, large capacity to right. uh, to film more walls. Yeah. So what, what was this eyewear business? What, what did it do? So it's called Vemma Industries and the sort of unique uh, thing about it was, uh, unique and, and particularly unscalable thing about it, was that I, I produced some eyewear with clear perspex and put some brick dust. Uh, the really bright red brick dust from from Venice itself inside it, so it had a really nice mottled, mottled effect. But I also did some some more standard designs with more standard colours and, and nice acetates as well, which which was great. And you know, from a venture side, like the economics of eyewear are unbelievably good. Um, the cost of production of your of your standard um, luxotica eyewear. Uh, like a Ray Ban, for example, probably at about five euros, and you're paying 120 pounds for mm-hmm. it. Um, so if you can if you can crack it, it's great business.
1: To be in. Yeah, yeah. But you're not you're not in the business uh, still. <laughs> so we're, what were the learnings? What what went wrong? What would you do differently?
0: Sure, sure. So no, I did not crack it. As you <laughs> I think where it really fell over was I just could not, for the life of me, get a decent supply chain running. And so what ended up happening is I, I ended up fulfilling um, a couple hundred orders. And getting very very frustrated, uh, and and I think potentially it was just a cultural difference between between me and the people that I had uh, I mandated or um, gone around to to do the production. I had driven around the Venice region for maybe about sort of two weeks visiting, uh, and just quite literally just just stopping off on the side of roads to these right. various different factories, yeah, um, which was great fun. And but in, in hindsight, perhaps that's not the best way of doing it. But it's very difficult to penetrate. What is an incredibly sort of, not exactly small time, but the, the sort of the agents of production that I was using were not really professional businesses. But the problem is, approaching professional producers, um, I needed to go in with huge orders, and I didn't want to put that amount mm. of capital into inventory at that early stage. Mm. So, so, I mean, I, should, I probably, in hindsight, just should have done more work up front. To get someone who was really bought into my
1: vision, who was going to make good on their production promises. Yeah, cool, interesting. So, so it, it didn't work out, but that led you into your next move, which was where you're at now, Forward Partners. So, how did you yeah. go from uh, being an eyewear company in Italy <laughs> to being back in London and, and joining the the Forward crew?
0: Sure. So, well, actually, in between there, the um, the airport security company that I'm invested in. I, I'd been doing quite a lot of work with them to get them ready for what is the sort of equivalent of a series A yeah. and a private equity company, a triumvirate of a KLM, Schiphol Airport and Rabobank invested in them, um, which was great. Those are, those are the exact partners that you want for that kind of business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and also, the investment also came along with testing time in Schiphol's lab, uh, which is almost every single bit as, um, right. uh, as useful as the investment itself. But so when we raised that money, they wanted to get their own person in to run it. So they hired uh, their mate from, from, who has a Harvard MBA and yeah, had some time in this house uh, in to run it. So I thought, OK, cool. My work here is done. I should probably get a job. I seem to be better at investing in things. I do like small businesses, though. Uh, what should I do? and then I decided to go into venture capital <laughs> okay. um, and yeah I just found my these
1: forward partners really and now I've been there for, um, for over a year but did, did, you, did you know someone there did you know Nick or did you know David or was it just literally a, a cold call and a meeting? no so so I I don't I don't really have uh, very much shame or ego. I went in as an intern, and mm-hmm. I'm still there. Yeah, cool. awesome, good stuff. And so um, let's talk about Ford because um, you know you guys are focused on on e-commerce, right? But you have a very different model in that you you do make some investments, but you also take people in a very early stage and then put a team around them and provide yeah. services. But explain, the, even for myself, I don't feel like I necessarily know all the different components of what you do, but can you walk us through a bit about the model and, and how Forward thinks about that? Sure, absolutely. So we have two main uh, routes of
0: investment. Um, one is at the idea stage and one is at the seed stage. The seed stage is, is fairly traditional, seed stage venture capital. The idea stage is really what makes us uh, truly different and this idea stage it it, it it would actually be possible to come in as an entrepreneur With a well-substantiated idea and you need to be a credible entrepreneur obviously and for us to back you um, With around sort of 250,000 pounds. I mean that's a huge risk obviously mm-hmm. to just be backing well-substantiated ideas with who has well, typically just one clever person behind it. yeah, And that's another thing. I mean, we're, we're very, very happy and we actively seek to back solo founders. And the reason why we're happy to do that is because we have um, a product development and growth team. Uh, so, a head of product, um, some full stack devs, front ends, a digital marketer, graphic designers, um, a head of product, I think I mentioned that, a recruiter. And, uh, and some ancillary services as well, like accounting yeah. and legal and coaching. Yeah. And the reason why we have all of these people um, as part of the forward partners team is to give these uh, highly risky early stage startups the greatest chance of success. And you're you're taking away a lot of a lot of the real pain points and potential areas where uh, a young mm-hmm. business, a very young business might fall over by,
1: by helping them plug those gaps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and what do you, when, the, when you source those founders or you look for those founders, wh- where do you look and what is it that you're looking for? Sure, so I mean, we, we think about it probably a lot like other,
0: um, other VCs do in terms of uh, having have the right product, market and team. What that looks like at, at the earliest stage is, uh, is, a, is a very, very well thought through plan. Whether that is uh, in relation to the current competitive environment, really strong use cases, and really just a, a true understanding of where this might well fit in uh, now and in the future. Behind that we need uh, a, great, a great founder so for example one of our uh, early stage startups Lexu which is um, legal services marketplaces for SME yep. Daniel the founder is a lawyer and he comes from uh, a top tier law firm it would be it's a great idea mm-hmm. they've just raised their seed round but if someone had come in with the idea of Lexu and was i don't know a graphic designer
1: it would be somewhat odd, yeah yeah, um, so, so that's that's very important yeah, as well yeah but when someone comes in as a solo founder, I mean often early stage investors, you know you might be looking for um, more than one founder, you know founders. often often a co-founding team of two or three people with complementary skills whereas you're doing it slightly differently you're you're getting the solo founder and adding those skills but is there is there something that you need to do during those early stages to make sure that the team bonds or how does the the culture grow out of that when you're when you're kind of almost artificially putting a team together in its early stages well
0: I think the solo founder thing is is one way of getting things at the very earliest stage but also there is some common thinking about people need to be able to convince other people to join their vision really early on. Yeah. Okay, cool, that, no doubt that has some and quite a lot of elements of truth in it. For us, we think that a solo founder is going to be in a much, much better place To find the right team members when they've gone about validating their team.
1: Yeah. Um, And furthermore, we've just developed this framework called the Path Forward. I was going to ask you about that. So you actually put that out. I saw it. Saw it this week. You've actually released this into the public. So all the the years that Forward Partners has been doing this, you've you've formed some solid ideas around those stages. So let's talk through that. So, um, well, first of all, tell people um, where can they find this. So, uh, you can find it at the pathforward.io, mm-hmm.
0: um, as well as <laughs> on Twitter and the blogs and LinkedIn, because we're trying to fill it, or fill as
1: much of social media yeah. as we yeah. can. Awesome. So, yeah, let's, let, let's walk through it. So, it, it starts off at the beginning, which is validating your idea, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, at
0: this, at this point in time, what you're trying to prove is the need for what this well-substantiated idea is. So that involves uh, some customer research and a sort of even more uh, in-depth understanding of those customer segments, what the market looks like, what potential buying behaviors are looking like. And in relation, or um, after that, uh, you have the opportunity to build a prototype. Whether that's the much-wanted MVP or you do a little bit of dev work, doesn't matter. It just needs to be something that, uh, that you can offer those first hundred Thousand mm. customers, and hopefully at that point in time, you'll sort of uh, you'll do some very very quick learning about um, customers' behaviours and mm. what you need to react to. Yeah, um, and then the and then the right then then the the third thing about it is that you need the you need the right skills to do it. So whether you hire someone in to to do that alongside you, probably not at this stage because you probably want the entrepreneur to be taking the lead and managing what is what is effectively a, a very complex project themselves at this mm. stage
1: yeah yeah interesting well yeah so if, if if people are interested in in knowing more then definitely go and look that out um i haven't looked at it myself yet but i'm fascinated so, <laughs> to to read through that uh, maybe on the weekend <laughs> sure <laughs> so um i mean t- talk to us so You've got this kind of unique model, um, you know a lot of e-commerce businesses now that, that Ford is invested in. I mean obviously you can't have favorites, but I mean talk us through a couple that you're excited about now that have just got out there into the, the marketplace. Okay, cool. So obviously um, what comes to mind
0: like very recently is, is uh, lost my name, raised a really, really great
1: round.: um, yeah. from Google Ventures. Yeah just uh just a few weeks ago. Yeah, moment. those guys have done now. fantastic. So they 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 actually were on Dragons Den and then raised in yes. a, in around with with Ford, which exactly, is a, exactly. which is an auspicious start. Yeah, yes, exactly.
0: Keys Lenny right mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they they've got something got a truly great product mm-hmm. with genuine sort of emotional resonance with their customers. Yeah. And their customers are both parents and the gift buyers. Yeah. And of course the children themselves and the children love it and they're yeah. learning how to spell at the same time. whilst being sort of
1: stimulated by um, new visions and new environments. and. Uh, and lots of good stuff like that yeah and i think the interesting thing for for me about lost my name is it's you know when you know when you're talking about venture and you're kind of you know reading about startups people think of these really deep deep technical problems yes, yeah. artificial intelligence or you know like robotics and automation but actually the, the premise of lost my name is is very simple it's a it's a book it's a physical book but it's being it's being custom uh, printed mm. so in a way that the product itself is you know something that you might see traditional but mm. this is kind of forwards model isn't it it's kind of you know looking at these products and rethinking how you sell them and you know, as soon as you have the you know the channel that is the internet to go and find customers and market them, it's suddenly a game changer. But how, how do you how do you look at that?
0: Sure. Um, although although, in fairness, I lost my name. is is incredibly complex. It has this nice sort of very approachable exterior, and mm-hmm. obviously the physical manifestation of Lost My Name is is a beautiful children's book. Yeah. But it, let's not forget that Lost My Name is, is a full-stack publisher. Exactly, um, yeah. They use software in places which traditional publishers cannot because it would yeah. be too much of a disruption to their own business model. Yeah. And furthermore, the way in which they uh, create unique stories and scenarios based off the child's name mm-hmm. um, is, is very, very complex they have thousands of unique stories out there for, for different children with different names and even the same name spelt a different way so yeah um, from that from that online portal it gets very very complicated from there mm. and so they are excellent at the operations part as well as
1: uh, yeah as well as the uh, the product vision. yeah yeah exactly yeah I mean and full disclosure my wife actually works for lost my name so I'm didn't I'm, know that <laughs> I am biased because I, I do love the product and really excited they have they have a, a, a some new products coming up, which That's I'm great. very excited about as well. But um, but so this, this full stack approach to e-commerce, uh, are there some other companies in the portfolio that are, are good exemplars of that? Sure. Well, Dave, it sounds as though you're leading me to talk about Spoke. <laughs> I might be. I might be. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about
0: Spoke. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Spoke is, uh, for the listeners, one of C-Camps, um, and after C-Camp, it uh, came to us as well. Mm-hmm. So Ben Farron is a great, great founder, and he's got uh, a full-stack approach to creating men's clothes. And again, the key here really is is what is given to the customer is a beautiful, well-crafted product. And in Spokes' case, those are um, really high-quality, well-designed chinos and now shirts as well in a range of different sizes, which helps to well either you look at a sort of positive or negative affirmation kind of way. Um, A lot of people have struggles finding things that fit. Or, on the other hand, you're looking at people who just really value fit. Um, And they're not always the same kind of people, but Spoke provides a huge amount of value and, and and great touch points with the customer and and on the back end
1: ben has a great approach to to inventory management as well mm-hmm. yeah yeah exciting so just just coming back to yourself um b- before we close out so i mean you you've been at forward for a year um how's the experience been is it is it what's your what's your what you've been expecting Is it been completely different like how's it been for you just getting into the into the game of venture yeah well um it's been great. It's been absolutely
0: fantastic. I feel very, very lucky because listening, and listening to founders and new ideas, and investigating new markets and, and new sort of business approaches is, is just really. It's got to be. If if it isn't the best job in the world, it's one of them. Yeah. One of the things which I've definitely done is I've said no a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I definitely wasn't prepared for that, and I, I don't sort of naturally enjoy the power of of saying no. Yeah. But I suppose I've got quite proficient at it, and. I think one of the things—I mean, our managing partner Nick—one uh, of the things which I've learned quite a lot from him. I mean, I was a hard worker before, but um, I'm a harder worker now, and I, I don't really think there's a substitute for that because it's really complicated. You're managing uh, people's hard-earned money, and you're
1: you're investing in uh, complex, risky things, and you need to work hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how does how does your mindset differ from uh, you know when it, with your finance background? Is it yeah what what are the things is are there, are there certain things that you've learned that you have to unlearn or are there things that have really come through where you learn them now and they're still very much uh, at the forefront of your mind today no i mean i think learning is, is, is an incremental
0: process i don't think uh, what i what i learned in, in my previous career is is throw away knowledge far from it and and now i'm just building upon it at a at a rapid rapid rate which is which is great and it's one of the reasons why i left What I was doing before is because I felt my learning slowing down. Mm. Um, And now I'm back in an area where every single day, uh, not only do I learn one thing, uh, which is new, I learn many, many, many things.
1: Unfortunately, I've got Evernote too, but <laughs> to, remind you of it. <laughs> cool. Excellent. Well, yeah, thanks, thanks for kind of coming in impromptu and, and talking us to, um, yeah, talking nice. us today from the investor day at sea camp week. So uh, maybe leave you with a, we, is it tradition on the sea camp podcast to we'll leave you with a, with a plug. We've already had a plug, the, the forward plug earlier. Uh, yeah. is there anything else that's, you know, maybe not related to work or a charity or project or one of your other companies that's doing something exciting? with? Of, yeah, of course. So, um, the Ford Foundation, one of our uh, key investors, also has a
0: uh, foundation called the Ford Foundation. Uh-huh. And uh, three of uh, three of my colleagues, um, Emma, Tom, and Alex, are doing a ride through Uganda. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A cycle ride, a Cy- cycle ride through Uganda. You know, braving the lions mm-hmm. and uh, and snakes and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. Um, and they have. Uh, a rather brilliantly named team called Turbo Dick Dick, <laughs> <Very> um, <nice. laughs> and they've got a Just Giving page uh, up and running. So I'm fairly sure if you type that into Google, uh, you'll you'll only find yeah. one Just, just right. Giving awesome. page named that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, please give
1: generously. Yeah, <laughs> excellent, awesome. And uh, you know, if anyone wants to, we'll we'll kind of put this in the podcast description. If anyone wants to follow you or forward on Twitter, where can they find you? Sure, uh, my handle is at Matty Jam. Cool, excellent. Thanks so much. Thank you.